Welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. I'm Raf Jello alongside Rob Wright of RT Sport Online this week. We've also got Keith Tracy and Conan Byrne and it's a busy one today. We've got a lot of transfers to talk about involving Ireland players on the move, some going to the continent, some coming from the continent and a lot of them starting with the letter C. We'll also be talking about the Women's European Championship uh, knockout stages just as the group stages come towards an end tonight, the final two group games take place and then of course there's League of Ireland clubs involved in Europe and a few results to look out for domestically as well so we might start on transfers and Rob um, I know you're making your podcast or soccer podcast debut but uh, it's one of those weeks where they've all sort of happened at once and as I said most of them seem to have uh, you know a surname starting with the letter C as well. Yeah I mean Nathan Collins is probably the biggest eye grabber because of the fee uh, 20.5 million which beats out Robbie Keane to Liverpool so uh, hopefully he's more of a success than uh, Robbie was at Liverpool. But yeah, I mean, that's a real vote of confidence in Collins. And I think, you know, it was expected. He, you know, he's really, really been impressive for Burnley. Made a great impression for Ireland. And it's probably justifiable. Um, going the other way then is uh, Josh Cullen. So he's coming into Burnley, which, I mean, that's another great vote of confidence to have a player like Vincent Company bring you from one club to another. That's um, yeah. There's a, there's a lot going on there. There's he's got to be highly rated. He's going to be built, building the team around him. And uh, the fact that he signed as well, Luke McNally, is a good sign for Irish players because Burnley they are in a lot of financial trouble. You know they've had their leverage by they've suffered relegation, and the two players that they have spent their transfer budget on have been Cullen and McNally. Um, and then the other one, of course, is Aaron Connolly going to Venezia, um, which I don't think too many people saw come on, but I think. Probably could be a good move for the player. He needs a bit of a kickstart. You know, he burst onto the career, burst onto the scene uh, with Brighton, and you know, it hasn't really happened for him since domestically. Um, he had that lone season at Middlesbrough where it didn't really kick off. So you know, a move to Syria be you know, it's a beautiful part of the world, Venice. You know, if nothing else, he'll have a uh, some nice you know nice views while he's having his uh, dinner. Um, yeah, it's it's a good move for him. I think you know, it's it's a lot to prove, but. It's a good place to restart. Yeah, let's start with Nathan Collins. So as you said, an Irish record, £20.5 million is the mooted fee. And Keith, we were talking about him a few weeks ago, just off the back of the international break when Ireland were, well, when he shunned for Ireland, obviously he scored that brilliant goal, but also defensively, he was uh, he really made a mark and seems to become sort of our lead centre-back in the space of two or three games. Now, for Wolves, obviously they play a back three, so it, it's sort of a perfect uh, it's sort of a perfect club for him right in the middle of the Premier League and and also, as you said, tactically, you know, it's uh, it, it seems to suit him in terms of jumping between the internationals with Ireland and then also uh, a club level. I, I think you're spot on, Raph. I think it's a, it's going to be a really good move. And we talk about uh, Nathan Collins scoring that goal against the Ukraine, a brilliant dribble and uh, finish. But that's not the reason he's been bought. Obviously, he's done that. People have seen he has a little bit of talent. He can step in and do these things. But the reason Wolves have bought him is because he can defend properly and when you look at Bruno Lage's team, they do not concede an awful lot of goals. They don't score an awful lot of goals, but they don't concede an awful lot of goals. And that that is the backbone to their success. So they will be trying to they will try to embed him into there, into the back three really, really quickly. And the good thing for us, we you know, looking at it where Irish Eye is, they're gonna play a back three similar to Ireland. So you would think that it's gonna be not seamless, but you know, if he does get in there, he's gonna be playing the Irish way so we'll be able to come from there into the Irish squad which not a lot of Irish players do 
Uh, yeah, so 20 million, it's a big fee, but he's a young lad and it's a Premier League fee. So, look, I think it's going to be a good move. Like I say, he, he won't be... He won't have to. Uh, he won't have to invent too much there from Wolves. Wolves will try and try and uh, build up from other areas of the pitch. But you know, I, I think it's a match made in heaven. I really do. It, it was his first full season in the Premier League, and although it was they were relegated with Burnley, like Rob said, he really did stand out, and his Irish performances on top of that as well have let people see that he can play in the Premier League level and he can play on the international scene as well. And let's not forget the the first. I think it was against Armenia the the, the first game. Yeah. Couple of dodgy passes in the first ten minutes, and he was he was on a knife edge. I was doing commentary on the game, and I was thinking, which way is he going to go? Is he going to stand up? Or is he going to go into his shell here? And he didn't. He, he stood up to it, and the two games against Ukraine, he was he was outstanding as well. So, yeah, fair play to him. And I'm really looking to to see how he does now under a under a very defensive mind of Bruno Larish, How he uh, how he how he progresses. Yeah, and Conan, given the, the fee, obviously there's not much Collins can do about that, but it's also a sort of vote of confidence in him as well. And you'd imagine when a club like Wolves are spending that level of money, okay, maybe 20.5 million in the modern day, maybe it's not a, maybe it's, it's not actually massive now when you think about it. But um, putting, you know, investing that amount in a young player, there's a good chance he'll probably be slotted straight into the team. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, given the number four shirt as well, kind of proves that that they see him as a, as a long-term defender at Wolves like obviously he's going to be in with experienced players like Connor Cody and Max Kilman in beside him which will which is only going to help him as well two players in front of him and Ruben Neves and Joe Matinho too so they're the players that they, he can pass the ball into midfield that they're going to hold on to it and, and create chances further up the field for Wolves so I think as Keith said I think it's a match made in heaven and I'm looking forward to seeing how he, go, how he gets on um, there's a lot of talk maybe that he is, is, is Wolves kind of a bit low, a bit in terms of Premier League status, is a bit low for Nathan Collins. I think there's potential there for him to be signed by a bigger club, but I think he, he needs to see how he gets on at Wolverhampton Wanderers first. And as Keith says, I think he'll do a good job. Yeah, and I think Wolves, given the uh, you know the connection they have, obviously with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, agent Jorge Mendes and Gestifoot, they're generally kind of a safe Premier League bet. They seem to be in like relatively challenging for Europa League, Europa Conference League, even sometimes in that race for the Champions League at points in the season. So it's a it's a relatively you know it's a relatively good step. Conor Ronan Keith is uh, still there, and from the reports, Bruno Lage seems to be giving him a chance at least in pre season. I'd imagine he'll still end up going out on loan before the end of the transfer window but what do you make of his situation because he did really well at St Mirren last season yeah he did do well at St Mirren <clears throat> I know he's played a couple of games in, in the build up to the season this year but I, I think he'll go back out on loan I think he'll uh, you know like like there's so much uh, pedigree in that Wolves side and like I said they build their success on not conceding a lot of goals so when they score when they get chances they really do need to hit the back of the net and I don't think he's quite trusted just yet in that in uh, in Bruno Large's eyes, so I think another season now on loan for loan and quarters. But look, it's not it's not to be on an end all. To knock it into a Wolves team is not the end of the world. They are a very very talented bunch. It's a really tight squad as well. And some of the names that Cohn rattled off there: Ruben Neves, Joe Matinho, some super players to be getting in and around and just training in that environment will be brilliant for them. But if he goes out on loan, he really needs to hit the ground running and show people what he can do. Yeah, and Keith, like uh, a few weeks ago, I think you were talking about sort of Burnley style play. Obviously, Vincent Company is going to try and change that, but uh, 
you know, they're, as you said at the time, I think there's a, from the, whether it comes from pressure from the stands, they like to be a little bit direct. And it's going to be interesting now how Josh Cullen, who is moving from Anderlecht, is going to slot in there. And uh, Conan, in terms of the move, I mean, he did really well at Anderlecht. I was talking to him in December, uh, just about the that kind of first year, uh, 12 months he'd had there and really seemed to enjoy it, really seemed to slot in. Vince Company was a great manager for him. A move to the championship obviously the fact that he's moving to a club where you know it's a manager he's just worked with as well he will be slotted straight into the first team but do you think maybe like how would you have seen it would you have rather he stayed in Anderlecht or somewhere abroad or do you feel the championship's actually a good level for him yeah there's two ways to look at that obviously he's not playing at the highest possible standard he can play at in in, in terms of the top domestic league in Belgium which is probably on a par with the championship but having said that, they have two midfield players from last year, Josh Brownhill and Ashley Westwood, that really, really work hard. And they're kind of epitomises what championship clubs look for in players, is that work rate, determination, grit, energy. Um, two similar players. I know Josh Brownhill, he was probably one of the, the top uh, one of the top players that, uh, who made those interceptions in the Premier League last year. So he'll be vital for, for Burnley trying to get the, win the ball back in the championship. But Josh Cullen has that presence about him, that very, very good on the ball. He sees a pass. He'll dictate play, unlike the other two lads that I just mentioned. So I think it is a, is a, is a match made in heaven in terms of Vincent Company. I did mention when he got the job, I, I put up on Twitter, will he, I'm sure if he does rate Josh Cullen, he'll take him with him. So obviously he does rate him really, really highly. And um, yeah, I expect big things from Josh, Josh Cullen this year. Yeah, he's not the, uh, I mean, Cullen isn't the only Leitrim connected person now on the move as well. Kieran Clark, who I'm also going to claim is on the way to Sheffield United on loan. But uh, beyond, uh, you know, focusing too much on my own county, uh, Tipperary's uh, Shane Long, of course, Rob, um, on the move and a fairy tale move back to Reading. Yeah, look, it's, um, it would be, I think it could be his last season, you know, and it's the perfect way for him to go out. Um, after this, I didn't realise Paul Ince was the manager there. Um, so that'll be interesting you know he's um, he's a man who likes to play direct football and in Shane Long he's got the perfect target up the top for that so I'd, I don't think he'll be going back just for a kind of farewell lap I think he'll be put to good use uh, he'll see a lot of game he'll see a lot of the ball and probably a lot with, with his back to goal so I'd expect good things from there and it, yeah it is it's a nice way for him to round things off if it is going to be his final year yeah, the Paul Ince factor also relevant in terms of Jeff Hendrick going on loan to Reading, of course, both being uh, midfielders. And I remember talking to Keith Andrews a number of years ago. Uh, he would have played and been managed by by Paul Ince over a period of time at Wolves uh, first, where they would have played together. And then, of course, uh, Paul Ince seemed to really value him as a player. And he always speaks highly of him. And uh, Keith, uh, I know you yourself uh, also um Paul Ince has been a very important figure in your own career when you were at Blackburn as well. Like, what do you, from what you know of Paul Ince, and then maybe what you know of Jeff Hendrick as well, and what you've seen of him, how do you think he'll benefit from actually having a manager like that uh, in the championship? I think Jeff will benefit having uh, having Paul Ince around. <clears throat> Paul Ince gave me my uh, my Premier League debut all them years ago, and he was a, he was a manager that. I had Mark Hughes just before him at Blackburn and Mark Hughes never really trusted me defensively. So when, when Paul Ince got the job and, and gave me the, gave me my debut and put me in, you know, in the deep end, it gave me a lot of confidence, but he very rarely spoke to me about what to do. It was more my attitude towards the game and, and how we would, you know, our possession, stuff like that. He very rarely tried to coach me in possession, which was, again, it made me feel great. It made me feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, like I, like I knew what I was doing and I was part of a, a Premier League setup. So, 
I think he'll be quite similar with Jeff. I think he'll, he'll probably put a little bit more bite into Jeff's play. He'll, he'll probably wind him up before games and let him know that this is a physical game. And look, the championship is a physical game. And if we're, when Jeff plays for Ireland, he's asked to play a little bit nice football. It's not really getting around, trying to leave a bit on people. I think Paul Lynch will like that side of it. He'll like a little bit of hustle and bustle, a little bit of physicality in the middle of the pitch. But we know Jeff has a pass on him as well. So I think Paul Lynch will find it a nice little medium in there where he's a, he's a player, but he'll be also doing the hard graft as well. And yeah, I, I think, I, you know, Redden next year, I, I think they'll be all right. I think Paul Lynch, you know, when he first came to Blackburn, I have to be honest, he brought a backroom staff for them that weren't really... I don't want to say up to scratch, but I think it was a lot, a lot of their first jobs in the Premier League. And Paul, as a standalone manager and a standalone person, he was absolutely outstanding for me. You know, a legend of the game. But just some of his backroom staff at Blackburn maybe let him down. He ended up getting the sack in around Christmas time. But I, I, I feel he's gone away. He's done his homework. He's got some new backroom staff, and I, I think, I think he'll be on much and upwards for Paul, and I hope so as well. Because, like I say, I've, I've a lot of time for him as a person. Yeah, and then Aaron Connolly moving to Venezia on loan from Brighton. A little bit unexpected. And Rob, I think uh, with the trends that are happening, I think we'll all have to look for subscriptions for Serie B. And obviously it's easy enough to get Serie A, but <laughs> we might need to get Serie B subscriptions there somewhere. And the thing is, you, if you want to support Venezia, you're not going to be able to get hold of their jerseys because apparently they sell out like crazy. They're um, the most sought after jerseys in Italy. They're, they're kind of a special designer thing. They do this whole... Um, pre-sale and it's a real like you know it's a fashion statement to wear a Venezia jersey so Aaron Connolly is going to look very sharp now next season um the away jersey actually it's uh it's white with green and orange pinstripes so perhaps that's a, a good sign for them um but yeah I think it's a it's it's a great move because you know it didn't happen from at Middlesbrough and then your option after that is do you drop down to league one you know really because it hasn't happened for you in the championship you know, is it League One then? Um, and, you know, they, they were relegated from Serie A last season, but they were a Serie A team last season. You know, they finished bottom, but, you know, they, they didn't lose too many players. So I think it's it's a great move from. Um, yeah, and it's, it's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on all the players over there. You know, it's, it's yeah, definitely have to get some subscriptions going on. Um, just on Connolly's move, obviously he's the sixth uh, Irish player that's made the move in the last few months. Uh, we've had James Abanqua, Fessia Baselli going to Udinese, Liam Kerrigan, who I think he, I saw him scoring a preseason goal there. It was all over Twitter there for Como and uh, obviously Cahill Efren and Kevin Zeffi to the two Milan clubs as well. And then as I said, Venezia, it's a club that had Ethan Ampadu there last season. I saw a little bit of them when they were playing Roma, I think it was, and possibly against AC Milan as well. And I mean, yes, relegated to Surrey, Surrey B, but as you said, Rob, um, in terms of, you know, their their level is pretty pretty good. So let's see how Aaron Connolly gets on there. Um, Keith, just thought, what did you make of that move? And we were talking to David Connolly a few weeks few weeks ago, and he seemed to be kind of worried about Connolly's, well, his namesake, Connolly's development. And we, you know, the one we were kind of wondering whether obviously the Middlesbrough being his first loan, that didn't seem to work out and what was coming next. And this is sort of a left field move, but possibly that left field that it actually could spark something. Yeah, I see. I see two sides to this side, really, Rafa. I, you know, going away, getting away from England is great because, you know, I, I played my whole career in England and it's very intense. And I am speaking from the outside here, but it just seems to me when you come away from the top divisions in any, you know, Spain, Italy, Germany, anywhere, if you come away from, from the top leagues, it seems to be a little bit less intense. But the championship, although the, the quality maybe comes down technically a little bit in the championship, 
the intensity is just the same. You know, when you go to restaurants, cities, it's still, it's it's everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So Aaron Connolly going away, I think it might be a good, it might just be a little bit less stressful for him. It might bring a bit of love back into it. He might, like Rob says, lovely, uh, lovely surroundings over there. It might just kickstart a bit of love in him. But the one, the one thing for me is I, I had offers while I was playing to go away, to go to foreign countries. And I was always a little bit tentative because it's very easy to be forgotten over there. You know, he, he could go over there and play seven out of 10 most weeks, but he'd be forgotten. He needs to go over there and he has to stand out. He has to be one of the top players every week in the team because if not, like I said, it's very, very easy to be forgotten. But for me, <clears throat> he's gone to the championship. He's gone to Middlesbrough, probably didn't work out. You know, is he going to go to another championship club that maybe he's going to play a little bit less football, a little bit more direct? That's probably not what Aaron Connolly wants when you think he's he's a Brighton player at heart. So he's he's bred under Graham Potter. So, you know, to go go away, I think could be a good thing. But like I say, it's going to be down to him now. I would be putting the ball firmly in his court and say, Aaron, this can go both ways. You're, you're at a junction in your career now where you really need to hit the accelerator and like I say, this could go both ways. So it's a big, big 12 months coming up for Aaron Connolly. And for me and for Ireland, I hope it goes well. I hope he gets his head down and, and really powers forward. Yeah, and obviously Stephen Kenny and his staff and the scouts will be keeping keeping an eye on him, as we've seen with Josh Cullen sort of establishing himself once he once he went to Anderlecht, which was, might have seemed a little bit out of his sight, out of mind. And Conan, like similarly in terms of his Ireland prospect, prospects, because he's sort of fallen out of the picture. He's not quite out of it, and injuries did play a part in that as much as form did, but you know, as Keith said, you know, going away where you're, you are sort of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, how do you think it impacts over the next over the next season? Obviously, form being you know the the determining factor. But how do you think it impacts impacts uh, his chances of uh, pushing his way back into the squad? Yeah, I think he, as Keith said, he needs to hit the ground running. He's got, I think, he's only got seven senior goals in his career um, over the last number of years. And for a striker, that's, I suppose that's not really good enough, um, especially for international football. And he's come in and he's he's. When he first came in, into the senior setup, he, he was doing quite well. And then he just it seemed to not work hard enough in the games. And Stephen Kenny was was getting frustrated with him, taking him off, not playing him. Um, so, yeah, I do, I do think the move is big, but it's a big move for him, considering that he's, he's, he's packing up, he's moving abroad to a different country, a, a new language, new culture. Um, it'll be a whole new experience to him. So even off the pitch, how he, how he will take to that, will he... Is he mature enough now to be able to, to at 22 years of age, to, to do that on his own? Um, but it's what he does on the pitch that Stephen Kenny will be, will be looking at closely. And as I said, seven goals over his senior career. The brace against Spurs is, is probably the top moment. But since that, it's dipped completely, massively. And um, he'll need to, to regain some sort of confidence in, in Serie B next season. Yeah, um, so in terms of transfers, that's sort of the main ones. There are a few more League of Ireland related ones, but we'll, we'll talk about those a little bit later on when we talk about the clubs obviously involved in Europe and then uh, the, some of the domestic games that stood out over the last few days. But Women's European Championship is ongoing. We are just coming towards the end of the group stage tonight. There are a few games on RT Television and the RT Player, and obviously they're, uh, the two games are simultaneous given that they're final group games in Group D. So Iceland against France at 8 o'clock, 
Morocco and also Italy and Belgium at the same time. And France are true um, to the knockout stage where they're going to be playing the Netherlands. And that's going to be a game to watch. We'll talk about that very, very shortly. And then the decisive factor then is to see whether it's Iceland, Italy or Belgium joining them. But Rob, when you look at the, um, you know, the, the lineup for the quarterfinals now, England versus Spain and then Sweden against one of those three teams I mentioned, Iceland, Belgium, Italy, Germany against Austria and then France against Netherlands, it does look like at least on paper and games aren't played on paper but you'd kind of think Sweden on one side of the draw and Germany are definitely true and then you've two massive games then on both sides of the draw yeah I mean I I, I'll be honest I I have a sneaking suspicion for Netherlands for the whole thing now um I saw them play Portugal and I mean aside from the fact that it was probably the best game of football I've seen the last well all summer anyway um they looked so good you know they they went into an early lead they got pegged back by a team they wouldn't have expected to peg them back, you know, 2-0, 2-1 down, missed a penalty, and then went on to win 3-2 with a winning goal that's as good as anything you'll see. Um, like they're coming in as the defending champions, but slightly under the radar. Um, they're not really getting much of a... No one's giving them much of a chance of going through. You look at the odds even, you know, I think they're 11-1 to to win the tournament, which, you know, for the defending champions in the quarterfinals, it's crazy, I think. Um, I think England, Spain, yeah. England, the hype train is there. Um, You would expect them to beat Spain, Sweden, you know, it's it's funny because I feel like England, you know, they they drew the first game, or they won the first game 1-0 and everyone was a bit... uh, down on them, you know, as they were expected to go out and hammer it, and that didn't happen. It happened in the next two games, uh, and everyone's kind of forgotten that performance against Austria. But I, I, I think things could go wrong for England and go wrong quickly. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if they don't, uh, they don't make the final, which I think people are automatically assuming they will. So I mean, Netherlands France would be the game to watch for me. Um, I'm really looking forward to that one. But yeah, I have a sneaking suspicion about Netherlands. Yeah, let's listen to Lisa Fallon and Ireland manager Vera Pau. They were on punditry duty on Saturday, and this is on England versus Spain, which I think obviously because of the England factor and how they started, as you said, the uh, the group stage, especially the Norway game, which sort of came out of nowhere in terms of the actual final score. Um, and then obviously they, you know, they brushed past Northern Ireland as well. They're gonna, they are coming into this game against Spain as favourites. So let's listen to what they had to say. It will be interesting. Uh, everybody will think that they have no chance, but uh, you, you never you never know how a game develops. Um, and they will get more space against England. But yeah, England is at this moment by far the best team with the most complete qualities, the most complete football. We'll see. Lisa, would you give them a chance against the English? What I think is really interesting about Spain and England is that I don't think either teams have really had to defend yet. The only... When Spain had to defend against Germany, they conceded two goals. They didn't really have to defend against Finland or Denmark, both teams playing in a low block. England haven't really had to defend yet. They've had big wins in in pretty much all their games. So I think it's going to be fascinating. But if you put it down to the attacking quality, um, I think England probably have a bit more in that dimension. But again, I think that that game will come down to who can defend and who can be more ruthless. And England have been much more clinical than Spain have been. 
Well, that's all to come uh, next Wednesday with, uh, of course, Germany playing Austria also in their quarterfinal. All right, so that is Ireland manager Vera Pau and also coach and analyst Lisa Fallon, who were on punditry duty. That was after um, England and Spain both made their way through. As you said, um, and what they made, the point they made there, Rob, in terms of, you know, Spain have been playing teams that play in a low block and you know they haven't they've struggled to score goals but they're also missing their one of the best players in the world in Alexia, Alexia Puteas and then also their most experienced striker Jennifer Hermoso also missed out through injury but added to that of course England aren't going to be sitting back in a low block obviously as hosts but also with the quality they have and that just makes it a little bit more intriguing yeah um I, I think I think Spain the Germany results uh, surprised a lot of people you know and they lost 2-0 to Germany I don't think too many people saw that coming um and England yeah England well the pressure is on England you know the, the fans are there and the, you know they it, it's it's all well and good when they're winning four uh, they're winning uh 4-1 and knocking in goals and you know uh 5-0 against Northern Ireland you know and the Mexican waves are going around the stadium, but like I said, they, they things got tense against Austria, and if Spain can keep them quiet for the first half hour, it could get very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I I just don't know how patient the fans will be because the expectation has been there for goals. So if it goes a bit quiet, it could get interesting. Yeah, and it'll quieten the uh, the calls for it's coming home, which I think I've heard a couple of <laughs> a couple of chants um, through the TV screen. But also uh, Lisa Fallon and uh, Key Mount United's uh, Karen Duggan, who were also on punditry duty yesterday on Sunday after the Dutch made their way through, they were talking about the Dutch, but also Karen Duggan was talking about Sweden's chances as well on the other side of the draw. Uh, Karen, we didn't see the Swedish game in its entirety, but 5-0 suggests that they did turn it on today, but it was about time for them, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, I did think they were the better team against Netherlands in the first game, and they only came away with a point, and I was wondering if they perhaps weren't clinical enough. Um, they righted that today, so obviously put in five goals against the, the Portuguese. I think Steph mentioned it, when they play against teams who are more expansive, they can cause damage. So um, it'll be interesting to see how teams kind of are aware of that now. Okay, and uh, France against the Netherlands in a quarter final, it certainly whets the appetite, doesn't it? Oh, it does. It's a game I can't wait for. And, and to think that Netherlands still have Vivian Miedema to come back into their team um, goals, five goals or four goals today. Um, but for me, the real find for the Netherlands has been Van Domselaar. I think she's been outstanding. Losing Van Wienaldaal in the first game was a massive, massive blow to them. And it must give them great confidence that their young goalkeeper has really stepped up to the mark for them. That was the uh, uh, Van Wienaldaal, the goalkeeper, had, I think, 98 caps. And then when you looked at who the number two and three were, both had one cap each. And obviously one of them then getting, getting the nod, but having done quite well. Um, Karen Duggan there, as you, as you saw, of P-Mount United, she's going to be in cup action in the quarterfinals. Um, the draw was made on Tuesday with Athlone Town playing Cork City, Bohemians against Liga Rovers, and then a massive one, P-Mount playing the uh, the league leader Shelburne and their biggest rivals, and then Wexford Utes against DLR Waves. And then the results at the weekend were uh, were interesting in terms of the title race, Rob. So Bohemians 3, Treaty United 0, Galway 5, Cork City 1, but it's really P-Mount losing 4-0 at home to Shelburne who are league leaders and seem to be kind of slowly, they were being reeled in and then sort of are starting to run away with it again. And then DLR waves against Wexford Utes, uh, nil-nil draw. Wexford yeah. falling out of the picture. And then the final game, and I think it's sort of interesting, Athlone Town, who at the beginning of the season were flying under the radar, but are now second in the table, uh, 
beat Sligo Rovers uh, 2-1. And yes, they're eight points behind Shelburne, but it's more also the fact Wexford are nine points down from Shells and P-Mount are a whole 13 points down. I don't like last week we were trying to we were suggesting and there's some disagreement whether the the men's premier division is sort of well and truly over I think this one potentially the women's national league we can possibly call a halt to it now I, I think the thing is and it's the same really in the men's league um it's a lack of consistency from teams and if anyone can put together any kind of run they shoot up the table I mean back-to-back wins for Athlone and then suddenly they're second you know Wexford, you know, they win a game, they draw a game, they lose a game. It's not what you'd expect. And P-Mount, you really don't expect to see them down in fourth place, you know. So, yeah, I think it's definitely over and done with Shells. They've lost twice. They're eight points clear and there's no one behind them that seems to be able to put any kind of string of results together. Yeah, so it looks like the odds on for another title. Of course, they're going to be in European action uh, next month uh, as well in the in the Champions League qualifiers. But speaking of Champions League qualifiers, also in the men's game, Shamrock Rovers at Ludogorets for their first leg, um, live on RT2 on Tuesday from 6.30pm. Uh, Conan, the first leg, it was a really professional job, uh, or well, I mean the first uh, first round, I mean um, when they were playing Hibernians of Malta winning 3-0 at home, doing really well and then going away and they never really looked in trouble, so the only thing now, obviously as you step up through the qualifiers, the challenge gets bigger and Ludogorets are a team with a lot of European experience. They are and they've also started back their league campaign recently over the last number of weeks and got off to 3-0 away win and a 2-0 home win and that seems to be the the way they go. They score a lot of goals and they don't concede many. So that's going to be an interesting scenario now for Shamrock Rovers coming into the game. They'll have to be on the lookout, obviously, for their the Cypriot international, Pira Sotiru. Wonderful goal scorer, 17 goals and 20 starts last season. So he'll be their, their main man up top that they'll have to look, look at very, very closely. But I think Shamrock Rovers themselves, as you said, Raf, they put in a very, very professional performance against the Bernians last week. Um, last week. They're... they're the home result was fantastic. 3-0 win, could have been a lot more. I know Hibernians came into it in the second half um, probably should have got a goal. And um, I can't remember his name. The striker went through one-on-one and and, um, and put it wide. But having said that, the, 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 the away leg, I thought they were absolutely fantastic. Um, they could have nicked another goal. I think they were, there was another gear that they could have, could have gone into. But the fact that they were playing in such, such immense heat that they didn't have to get into that uh, second or third gear. So they were just very, very comfortable. I thought Dylan Motts was outstanding in the middle of the park. Um, I think European games really suit him and his style of play. Um, Rory Gaffney is a willing runner. That's I think that's what they were trying to do. They were just making um, putting balls into the channels for him to run onto and to upset the defenders with his pace and power, which worked really, really well. Um so I wouldn't rule Shamrock Rovers out of this game, Rafa, if I'm being totally honest. I think that they've, um, like I think we've been looking at uh, Ludogorets over the last number of years and they've got four Europa League group stages, one Champions League group stages. And that Champions League group stages was back seven years ago. So it's going to be different players that they have signed since then. Um, but yeah, they have danger men. They have Uruguayan, um, an Argentinian, sorry, to Sarah, who's, who's, who's very, very good. Um, and also Alex Santana is Brazilian and he's going to be, he's going to, he, he's an excellent goal scoring midfielder. So they'll have to keep an eye on obviously the danger players, but I think in wide areas, that, that's where the, the way Shamrock Rovers play, um, they can, they can be very, very effective. And obviously with Jack Bourne back, I think um, that's a huge plus for any side. 
Yeah, most definitely. And as you, you know, you mentioned a few of the names in the Ludogora team. I think they have about nine players with international caps, regardless of whichever country it is, as you mentioned, Soteru, uh, the Cypriot um, up front. But you mentioned Jack Byrne, obviously Keith, um, in these type of games. You know, we saw we saw him at the end of the second leg in Malta last week and you could you almost felt another gear went up in terms of movement and, you know, play on the ball. And he's going to be vital now over these next two legs and the fact that he's just come back in time. Yeah, of course he will. We all know how how good Jack is, having cut his teeth at Manchester City. He just plays in them holes all the time. And every player knows you know, when, when you're going to try and press a ball and you know there's somebody behind you constantly making angles off you, it just makes your job so much harder because you don't know where you can apply the pressure, how to apply the pressure, because he's just making angles all the time. And when the ball does get into him, he plays on the half turn and he's more than capable of having a dribble, playing somebody through or going to having a shot himself. So, he is a, a danger man, but I, I would echo what Conan says. You know, Ludogorets, they do have a, a European pedigree. They are a very, very decent side, but they're only two games into their league. So there's every chance that if Rovers can go over there, get a decent decent result away, do some sort of job in them at home, you know, whether it's a one nil win, you know, just nick something at home and then go over there, make it horrible, make it edgy, see what you can do. But I, I would echo what Conan says. I, I think Rovers, although... Ludogrets are favourites I don't think you can get away from that Ludogrets are favourites especially over two legs but I would uh, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be totally dead set against Rovers not getting anything I think they have more than half a chance yeah, and obviously they have the, the the fallback of the Europa Conference League, and we'll hope if if they end up uh, falling into that, whether it's this round or a subsequent future round, they'll hope to go a little bit further in that. But in terms, you know, we were talking as Keith said there, you know, the the first leg, obviously, you're going to have to try and grind out a result, Conan, and then see what happens in the second leg. So, how do you think Stephen Bradley is going to set up, especially for that first leg, where they're going to be they're going to be under pressure? And it's a question of just trying to soak up as much of it and then maybe see, can you nick something on the break as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Roberto Lopez will be key in, in, in the back three, as well as the two sitting midfielders, probably going to be Gary O'Neill and, and Chris McCann, possibly with his experience. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be very compact. They're going to need to, need to be that way away from home. Again, they're going to be playing in immense heat as well. Um, so it's all about trying to reserve as much energy as you can and use counterattack because they they counterattack really really well. They have they don't have much pace in the team, but in Rory Gaffney and Aaron Green, they do those two players do have it. Um, and if Jack Byrne does play some part in the game, his creativity will be key in those counterattacking situations. So um, yeah, I think it's very very important that it's very that they play compact in Bulgaria on a, a tomorrow night and hopefully. They come away with a positive draw. Now, we said this plenty of times before. Myself and Keith were over in Minsk. When we played there, we got a great one-all draw and we were beaten at home. Same couple of years ago, uh, Legge Warsaw, we got a fantastic draw, one-all away, and then we were beaten comprehensively at home. So it's not the be-all and end-all if, if, if they get a positive result. It's all about the, the game over the two legs and not to be carried away by a, by a good result tomorrow because it's important that they do the job then at home. Yeah, and then in the Conference League, you now Pat's got a bye to the second qualifying round, but they're now playing Mora of Slovenia, and they beat Svintula Georgi 4-2 on aggregate over the last couple of weeks. They're, they're the seeded team, Pats are not. They also won the Slovenian League the season before last, So and they, they have some limited European experience, and but limited in the, also in the sense they beat Spurs last season, Conan. So they're, you know, they're not completely, you know, Europe isn't completely alien to them, and they also had the experience of playing Vitesse Arnhem and uh, Stad Rennes, 
two pretty good clubs on the European scene. So for the challenge for Pat's going and we they've been so inconsistent this season, obviously a lot of young players, but they just haven't been able, you know, it's sort of mirrors Bohemians a bit, except maybe they've had a few better runs. But how do you think they'll, you know, how, how do you think they go into this game now against a team with that sort of level of European experience that we just talked about? Yeah, similarly to, to Shamrock Rovers' chances and Luda Gretz, I obviously think Mura are a good side. Um, just looking at their their recent form, they haven't kept a clean sheet in fourteen games. So there's always there's they they, they obviously um, their defence isn't particularly strong, um, but they do score goals. So it'll be it's going to be a very interesting setup to see how they get on. Interestingly enough, you mentioned that they won the league and their league winning manager was uh, Ante Saminsa, who's manager of Ludogorets. Yeah, now, yeah so, I saw that. Um, so that's a, a little combination between the, the two, between the two sides, but. Yeah, as you said, they, they were beaten by uh, they beat Spurs in the in the Europa Conference League last year, but they lost the other five games, as you mentioned, to, to Stad Ren and um, I can't remember the other team. Um, uh, Vit- Vitesse Arnhem. Vitesse, yes, Vitesse Arnhem. So I think you, you can only look, look at those games um, because like Spurs didn't really play a particularly strong side in those games um, in the Europa Conference League, and they weren't in a great run of form at that time either. And as you mentioned with Pats, they played very, very well on Friday night. Myself and Keith were, were both at the game. A um, bit sloppy in terms of the possession, the concession of their goal, and probably we'll get into that later on. But in terms of the European experience, they don't have many players that have played. They've brought in um, a right-back uh, area. Has, they've struggled in that area all seasons, and they've brought in um, a player that used to play for Bolton Monders, Harry Brockbank. It's going to be his first taste of European action, but I thought he was really, really good the other night. Um, they brought in Serge Atakai as well. Um, played in Finland for the last number of years so he looked really really good on the ball typical European player so it's going to be very, it's, it's just going to be very very interesting to see how they get on because um, Owen Doyle is going to get a taste of European action again for the first time in a long time I'm sure he's going to savour that experience as well and when you have Chris Forrester doing what he does you're always going to have a chance so um, yeah I, I, I feel Pats have more of a chance than Shamrock Rovers but there's there, it's it's going to be bad. going to be difficult. Yeah, and Sligo Rovers, of course, uh, in very dramatic circumstances against Ballatown uh, last week, uh, winning on penalties, having won the first leg and then being pegged back in second, and then they get Motherwell and Rob. In a way, I think it's probably fair to say it's. Can we really say they're playing in Europe given they're only playing clubs in like post Brexit Britain? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's and it's um, it's a bit of a homecoming as well. Like you know, Jake Carroll, Ross Tierney, Robbie Mann, they're all the familiar to. Irish football fans. Um, so it, it's a shame in a way um, because it's not like, you know, oh, you're guaranteed a big, huge crowd from getting Motherwell. Now, if they could, they would have brought a lot more supporters, but because the showgrounds, the size of it, uh, they're only getting 300 tickets. So, I mean, it would be a sellout regardless. So it's a bit of a disappointment, I suppose, in a way um, that they're not getting a big European away trip. Uh, but it's 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 a very interesting tie because you know it's well they're not unbeatable, you know there's some there's reason to be hopeful for Sligo there, um, and yeah I mean they've got the the goalkeeper link there as well uh, Ed McGinty, um, now whether or not he's still there I suppose by the time the game comes around with the transfer links you don't know but yeah it's it's an interesting one and definitely there's a, there's a result to be played for there for Sligo I'd say. 
Yeah, and uh, as we said, with last week's game, Conan against Ballatown, obviously, I think the ideal would have been, and I think maybe they were, it sort of cost them a little bit against UCD then uh, on Sunday, but had, you know, the, the fact that they'd, won the, they'd done the hard work of winning the first leg in Wales and then obviously getting pegged back in the, the second leg, even, go, you know, going through on penalties is great and, you know, Ed McGinty being the, the hero and everything else, it's a great story, but um, it, I, I suppose the effect of having to play those extra minutes maybe will come at a little bit of a cost. Look, there's no beating around a bush. I was really disappointed in Sligo Rovers' performance last Thursday. And I think um, even John Russell, the manager, said it after the game, um, how disappointed he was. They should have finished the job. They had to rely on a, on a wonderful piece of goalkeeping twice by Ed McGinty in, the, in, the, in normal time. I don't know how Ballatown missed that chance where he, he was, your man was three yards out and hit, 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 the, hit the crossbar um, in, in extra time. And then they, again, they had to rely on, on Ed McGinty in... in in the penalty shootout. Um, so I, I, I echo what Rob said. I think Motherwell are a beatable team, but with Sligo currently the way they're playing, uh, I'd, I can't see them getting past Motherwell, even though Motherwell's form over the, in, in their, they've only played a couple of preseason games. And like Keith said about, about uh, Luda Goretz, they haven't played many games this season. Like they were beaten by, they lost to Dumbarton 1-0, they lost to Millwall 2-0. Um, and they played at an Austrian team in the fourth or fifth tier. They won that game um, comfortably, but at the same time, the, you're preparing for a, for a big game here, and having only three friendlies under your belt is probably not the ideal um, scenario going into a game of this magnitude for Motherwell. So Sligo should grab that with both hands, and um, but I just worry about their form. Yeah, um, as I said, there you know there there's a few things in their favour if they can grab the opportunity. So Keith, you know, looking at that tie against Motherwell, who were fifth in the Scottish Premiership Premiership last season, but obviously not doing well in preseason this time. How do you think Sligo Rovers will do? Uh, I I think I I think they could get through. I, I see. You know, I don't think there's a surprise either way if Motherwell go and win two one or Sligo win two one the other way. I don't think it'd be a surprise. I think it's a, a fairly even game. Having said that. If, if I'm Johnny Russell and I'm looking at the Sligo team, I would be emphasising that we're a little bit further down the line in terms of our season, in terms of fitness, in terms of sharpness. So I would be trying to drum in that we're fitter than them, we're stronger than them, and we can be more physical than them. Because I think if you bring it down to just a football game, it's a very, very even game. But like I say, I think Sligo are a little bit further down the physical uh, the physical track now being uh, with their season started. So I would make it a really high-tempo game. Every time the ball goes out, our player goes dead. I'd keep him moving. I wouldn't stop it. I'd just try and keep Motherwell moving because like Conor says, they haven't played a lot of games. So I try and wear the legs out and put them under as much pressure as possible. Never turn down an opportunity to put the ball into the box because once them legs start getting tired and people are facing their own goals, you know, silly things start happening at even the highest level. So, for me, put them under constant pressure and just see how they deal with it. And for Sligo, just run them into the ground, make it a really high physical, high output game and see see if Motherwell can stick with them. Yeah, and there'll be, as, as Rob said, there's a few familiar names in that Motherwell squad. Ross Tierney, of course, who moved over from Bowles in, uh, in January. And then uh, Jay Carroll, of course, was mentioned to uh, Conan. You'd know him pretty well as well from his time at Pats. Yes, yeah. Well, he was only there for a, for a couple of. I think he he signed um, for for his club in two thousand and thirteen. So I was only at the club for a couple of weeks before he left. But you could see the talent that he had even back then. I'm just as I'm, I'm sure he probably himself he probably would like to have, have kicked on a little bit in those early early years. Um, but look, he's playing SPL now and he's doing doing really really well. So 
I'm not going to wish him best of luck, though. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, Keith, uh, he was up. I know uh, Jake was or Jake Carroll was at Belvedere as well. I know he was sort of maybe a few years below you. But would you have come across him uh, when you were, when he was coming through? No, I, just, I, I never came across him. I just put my head down and, and went over across the water and forgot about everybody else. <laughs> I, I, I never came across him, sadly. Yeah, that's a nice honesty there anyway. <laughs> but, I'm just um, trying to give you a two-minute spiel of a great player and all this, but I'll just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of actual uh, tips that you did give a few weeks ago, which is, uh, I suppose, a nice uh, segue now, um, connected to Sligo because of course they lost to UCD on Sunday which kind of came out of nowhere a 2-0 defeat and uh, Keith you had tipped UCD to potentially stay up you'd looked at them and you'd seen enough there that you know if they can sort of pick up results which they hadn't been for the last few weeks but now suddenly a win and they're level on points with Finn Harps and in with a great chance of getting into or you know getting into that uh, relegation playoff spot now. Yeah, well, I, I done uh, I done the cold commentary for Pats against UCD. I remember watching them. I know uh, Pats won the game, but when the last 15, 20 minutes, and there was pockets within the 90 minutes that I thought, UCD aren't bad here, and Liam Kerrigan come off the bench. He really impressed me. His very direct running style was causing an awful lot of problems. Pats actually had to change their formation. He went from a three at the back to a five at the back, and the whole impetus of the game changed. And I just thought, if UCD can replicate this a little bit more for longer periods and games... I can see them getting out of this and, you know, look, they're not going to climb up the league and start challenging for Europe anytime soon, but I just think in a straight out battle between them and Finn Harps, I think Finn Harps have a little, uh, sorry, I think UCD have a little bit more talent going forward. Defensively, I think Harps are a little bit stronger, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what comes of it. For me, I, I tip UCD just to get their noses in front before the, before the line comes. Yeah, it's nice when a prediction sort of works out. So I imagine you're enjoying that one. Very obviously. rare as well. Very rare when it does happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, you know, you mentioned Liam Kerrigan there. He's obviously gone now. But and they've also lost Eric Yoro, who's gone to, to Bolton. So that's always the challenge they're going to face. But from Finn Harp's point of view, Conan, I mean, I, I was putting my notes together as the game was going on yesterday against Derry City in a derby. And you never know what happens in a derby. And it was a case of, oh, look, this is a great result for Finn Harps. I mean, they're as much, it's great response for them as you. UCD are going and beating Sligo Rovers and then in the last 10 minutes then Graydon scores and then in the third minute of stoppage time James Akintunde and also the narrative changes for Derry City because they're coming off a week where they had lost over two legs against Riga without really being able to you know show what they're capable of and you know, when they're trailing one nil Finn Harps, you're sort of a little bit worried about them based on their sort of recent form over the last few weeks and then that happens and that could be that could be massive for them, especially the nature of the win. Yeah, I, I was very worried about them yesterday at Derry City um, when I was watching, especially when they went one 0 down. They, they seemed to be lacking creativity. Um, they were rushing everything. They were trying to get the ball into the box when it didn't need to be. They were crossing when they didn't want to cross, and the um, or they were crossing when they shouldn't have, and they should have been uh, crossing when they didn't. Um, so yeah, I was very disappointed with Derry City for, for the first sixty minutes of the game yesterday, and then Finn Harris decided to sit back. And um, entice Derry City onto them, and as you say, in the last couple of minutes, like it all just worked out so well for them, like you said, Raf, because their 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 new player gets his goal, so confidence will be up, up for Ryan Graydon, a uh, great signing from from Longford Town. But Derry City, as 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 they've shown time and time again this season, five times out of six they've won games two one, and each of those games they've uh, they, they've scored an injury time. And the other goal they scored against Finn Harps in Bally Buffet was in the 88 minute as well. So they've, they're have they used to scoring late goals, especially when games are, are locked at one, one apiece. 
And when balls goes into the box and you have James up and James Akintunde, um hanging the way he did for that fantastic header headed finish above Rob Slevin, who I thought was magnificent and get in the game. Um, it just and it just it just shows you you just can't um, allow that to happen if you're Finn Harps, especially when you're down the bottom of the table. Um, I was surprised at the changes Ollie Horgan made. He took off um, took off Ryan Connolly um, in the 60th minute. Barry McNamee as well. Um, and it was that that that, that it changed the, the dynamic of the game completely when those players went off. Um, I kind of gave out last week when I was comment, co-commentating on the Shelburne Finn Harps game about Ryan Connolly. Thought his legs might have went a little bit towards the end of the game, but that didn't seem to be the case yesterday against Derry. And I thought he was very very good in the game, but. I'm not a manager. All he is. Um, and he probably saw something that I didn't. But at the end of the day, Derry got the win and it's a fantastic result for them. But a terrible result considering that UCD went and won in Sligo as well to level them, to, to be level on points with them now to, at the bottom of the table. Yeah, and they're both on, or Finn Harps and UCD on 12 points there. Finn Harps have the advantage by nine goals on goal difference. And then Rob at the at the top, I mean, I got a, I didn't quite get a telling off uh, last week uh, <laughs> when I called the title race early. Um, Shamrock Rovers, though, um, eight points clear of Derry City and then Dundalk, another point below. We'll, we'll talk about Dundalk, Pats, uh, very, very shortly. And But the way the table looks, Rob, it seems like it's sort of Shamrock Rovers, slowly inching away without having played games in the last few weeks. And then you've sort of that Derry City Dundalk. And then there's a whole sort of mass of clubs that are massively inconsistent after that. I mean, I think you could take the inconsistency right up to, you know, okay, no, Derry put a few results together in the last while. But like beneath Rovers, everyone, there's just no one can string a result, run a results together. Um, and you'll see it, you know, the, the table will go, Rovers will, you know, have played a game extra, it'll be you know, sitting there doing the maths, you know, or maybe if Dundalk win their two games in hands, okay, then it's down to such and such. But, you know, every time there's a chance to close the gap, it goes begging. Um, there's just no real consistency here. And I think the European places, like, you know, if St. Pat's, even, you know, if you look at Sligo, if they could win their game in hand, they're a point behind Pat's. And then, you know, did they, Dundalk, start losing again it's it's wide open i think still like you know it's those top two places are second and third maybe Derry, you'd give you know the nod to you know if they keep on going the way they've gone especially the nature of that win against harps you know you'd say there's okay maybe there's a bit of stickiness there but aside from that it's really up for grabs and i mean like yeah down the bottom there's no one catching drawhead between harps and ucd but i think the whole thing is it's just there's no consistency uh, no one's able to put a string of results together and it makes a very interesting finish to the season outside of Rovers Yeah and Dundalk as, as I said nine points uh, behind Shamrock Rovers after that draw 1-1 draw at St. Patrick's Athletic on Friday and they don't have any games in hand anymore and picked up five points from a possible 12 since beating Rovers uh, you mentioned Keith being at that uh, Pat's Dundalk game and you know, as we look at it there, the importance, I guess, from the Dundalk point of view is to sort of consolidate that top three position now and make sure they just get into Europe. Yeah, well, that, that'll be the aim. I think uh, for me, uh, Rovers have won the league. I don't think they will be caught. I, I, I'll call it Raf if you're not allowed to. I, I think Rovers will win it. But... <laughs> well, it's not, that I, it's not that I wasn't allowed to. I think it was one of the lads who was on last week was, uh, well, James O'Toole, who's a regular on the podcast, sort of <laughs> put a seed of doubt in my head and was kind of suggesting, oh, you might be called, you, you, never, you never know what happens. And obviously, football is football. You never know. But 
to be honest, you're giving me confidence again now. So I'm going to call Because he's a that. dirty fan, Raf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, I know he's a dirty fan, yeah. No, I, I'd, I'd be very, very surprised if Rob was what caught. But to go back to Pats and Dundalk, <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was a really good game, I have to say. I thought Pats were very clever with how he went about trying to trying to win the game of football. And I was a little bit disappointed in Dundalk. I think they only had two shots on goal over the 90 minutes, which is, you know, not great from a Stephen O'Donnell team. Stephen O'Donnell was very, very agitated on the line throughout, as was Paddy Craig as well. But for me, I... The way Pats went about it was brilliant. I know Pats are a passing team, but sometimes you have to hold your hands up and say, Dundalk's press is good here and we'll just play over it. And once or twice, even more than that, probably 50-50, every now and then Pats would play out from the back. But once or twice, they just chipped the ball along to Owen Doyle, play into his chest, and they got numbers into the area and just played from there. And I think Dundalk were a little bit caught by that. They were very wasteful as well in possession from time to time. For me, Pats overall, probably 70% of the game, they were in control, but for me, yeah, Dundalk weren't great. But I, I would, I would uh, credit Pats with that. Tunde came off the bench, had a couple of chances he should have put away. The keeper made one. Of, I think he made a decent save on one of them, and Tunde just really didn't have enough uh, enough composure in front of the goal. So on another day, Pats could have come out three one, four one winners. But you know, to get a draw, I think is Pats will feel it's a real opportunity missed and Dundalk I think will just be happy to pack their bags and get out of there because for me they didn't play great but it's a sign of a good team that you know you go there you don't play well and you come away with something Yeah and the other game on Friday it was Drada United losing 1-0 at home to Bohemians Liam Burt with a brilliant goal and that's the first time Conan you know that they've put they've strung back-to-back wins together I mean it's like uh, the proverbial uh, Dublin buses you wait for uh, you wait wait for one and then uh, two come at once and I'm using the Dublin bus reference obviously because that jersey um they put out there recently so it's vital for them I mean when we were talking about that couple of games that was coming up for Bowles you know it was uh, the those two games against UCD and Andrada were both flagged as you know must wins to try and get some level of momentum and Conan they've done it yeah, and I think the, the clean sheet will please Keith Long uh, most out of out, out of that victory, considering that they they just don't keep them. Um, I think it's three clean sheets in in fifteen sixteen games. So and Ty Grind between the sticks, and he's replacing James Talbot, who got injured obviously on international duty. Um, he looked short of confidence in the, in the opening couple of games, but thought he was very assured on on, on Friday night and put in a, a very very good performance. But I think the signings that that Keith Long has made has been has been the most important. Um, I think when he signed the likes of Josh Kerr, who's already becoming a fan favourite, John O'Sullivan as well, real leader, played a hell of a lot of his career in in, uh, in England. I think when you bring those type of players back back uh, back to the club, their own they they were needed. There was no leaders. I, I've said it numerous times um, since the beginning of the season. I felt that they've they've been missing that leader since um, Rob Cornwall left. Obviously, T. Buckley left. Um, Talbot's been injured. Um, so it's great to see those type of players now grab games by the scruff of the neck and let the creative players do the work and, and that's what they've been doing Liam Burke with a fantastic finish to, to, to win the game um, Drogheda unfortunately they've only got one win in six now obviously it was a great win as well against uh, the Loud, in, in the Loud Derby where, where Dean Williams scored um, but back to the drawing board for, for Kevin Doherty now he's safe I don't think we, I think we can, we can all agree that Finn Harps are used to the year and going to catch Drogheda um, in eighth place, um, so it's all about consolidation now for for Kevin Doherty and and try and um, get back to winning ways shortly. 
Yeah, and since we uh, since we recorded last week's podcast, um, Dawson Devoy's move to MK Dons was also confirmed for an undisclosed fee, and he's following Dar Burns over manager Liam Manning. Obviously, the setup at MK Dons is, uh, by all accounts, uh, extremely good. We saw you know Troy Parrott sort of thrive there as the season went on last season, and then I think Connor Coventry spent the second half of last season as well, where he had a lot of games. So, uh, Keith, in terms of what you know the potential for Dawson Devoy now to you know get settled in. And and then sort of build from there. Um, what do you expect? I expect him to, well, he has to go there. He has to start the pre-season. You know, that'll be a jump because the, the levels are different than pre-season. It it's, can be quite intense. But like you say, he's gone over there with Dara Bournes. There's a couple of Irish in the door already. So I'm sure there'll be people getting their arms around them and making them feel welcome. And I, expect, I do expect big things, especially from Dara Bournes. I, I've seen him closely at Pats and he's, a player with wonderful, wonderful ability and talent. It's just whether he can get his attitude and be able to, like, he's, he's a young kid. So the one thing, the question mark that's always over there is, can he do it on a, on a consistent basis? And, you know, he's at, he's at a place now where he always wanted to be. He's in England, he's playing football, he's playing professional football. And, you know, MK Dons is a level now that if you start doing well, you will make the Irish squad or you could even make the Irish team. So, I would be in Daryl Bourne's ear, I'd be in everybody's ear, the Irish lads' ear, ears, and say, if you play well here, lads, there's a platform to get into that Irish team, so go and grab it with both hands. Yeah, and in the first division on Friday, uh, Bray Wanderers lost 2-0 to Treaty United, Ender Kern with a brace there, and then Waterford got a 5-0 win at Cove Ramblers, and the big game, it was Cork City against Galway United. Uh, let's listen to the two managers, because um, there was a lot, the, while it was a stalemate in terms of the, the scoreline, a lot did happen in the game, Ed McCarthy sending off for Galway, Cork weren't able to take advantage, so let's, let's listen to Colin Healy first. It was a difficult night, you know. As I said, listen, they went down to ten men earlier on, and said Eddie got sent off, um, and you know we didn't we didn't make the most of it, and um, and that's probably down to ourselves. I didn't think we kept um, kept the ball as well as we could have, um, and listen, we had a few chances in the second half, but it um, they were probably half chances. Listen, the Galway defended well, but we didn't make the most of it. Why didn't you make the most of it? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens. You know, listen, it's the probably decision making in the final third, and probably. Um, we didn't move, move the ball quick, quick enough. Sometimes that happens, and it's it's, it's like when we were up in Galway last time. Listen, we, we got a, we got a player sent off, and you sit in, you defend, and sometimes it can be hard to to, to break down a low block. Listen, we put in crosses from, from deeper areas, and you know we came up getting across the front, and but it's just probably we just couldn't get that goal tonight. And they're a very good and solid team, and hard to break down when they drop back like that. Um, Lewis Britton made his debut. Talk to me about him. Why did you bring him? Why did you bring him in? I just felt like obviously um, because Lewis is um, listen he, he's he's very good uh, he's very good in the air and if, listen if you're if you're going up against the low block I mean if the cross is coming in from wide areas then obviously if with Lewis's height and his uh, his um, his ability to go and attack the ball it, it would be a change that we had to make I see Rory, Rory Keaton is um, he's been brilliant for us but he got a, he got a yellow card beforehand so I just didn't take a chance obviously with him getting sent off up in Galway it was just probably I just need to be careful on that one so that was only yeah I said he did nothing wrong it was just probably um, a change that I had to make. All right, so that is Cork City manager Colin Healy speaking to Oshin Langan after that nil-nil draw. Let's listen to John Caulfield, who wasn't too happy with the red card for Ed McCarthy, which happened very early on in the game. We were really dominant and uh, enjoying the occasion. And, you know, the sending off, which is a yellow card. The officials, the linesman, the fourth official says it's a yellow card. The referee sees red. And you come into a place here where you want your players to be calm and, and you want composure. And 
a man in the middle decides it's a red card and he's a very experienced man and, and uh, look, we all make mistakes but it just changed the whole dynamics of the game and then obviously if you're asking me then after that when you know you have to soak up so much pressure you're happy to get a point of course we are but Finnerty had a header saved by Cochrane in the second half so we were slightly dangerous on the counter-attack but, uh, but overall you know, down to 10 men here you know what I mean? After 17 minutes, you have to say a point was was a good result. Did you get an explanation as to why it was a straight red? Was it because it was more of a kick than a trip, or did you get an explanation? I'm not trying to put yeah, words in your mouth. It's a, it felt violent, but the, the problem, Oshin, 99 is 100. It's a yellow card. Yeah. You know what I mean? We all see it every day of the week in matches as well. But you come to an occasion where 6,000 people, massive occasion. It happened in front of us in the dugouts. Fourth official goes yellow card. I'm not afraid he's a red, okay? But he can say whatever he wants. He can say this 99 times 100. That's a yellow card. The problem there changes the game because this is the top two teams. Great atmosphere, great occasion. People want to see a fantastic match. It wasn't that it wasn't a fantastic match afterwards. It just changed the whole dynamics of the game where both teams have to go off each other. We have to sit in, okay? And even though the lads did brilliantly and we were trying to play on the counter-attack, it just changed the game from first opening 50 minutes when we were going all out trying to win the match and, and that's what's frustrating about it because you know there's livelihoods at stake it, there's and every, everyone can, 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 can anyone can make a mistake but there's what I call that was a straightforward decision and the wrong decision was made in that situation do you know what I mean alright so that is Galway United manager John Caulfield and not too happy with the and speaking to Oshie Langan as well but not too happy with the, the red card Conan <laughs> very clearly comes through no, and I'd have to agree with him. Obviously, that Ed McCarthy notices Cork on on the break, and then he just—it's just a clipping of the heels more. So it, it, I know I can understand maybe where people are saying it's a kick out, but you're just kicking someone else's leg to clip the heels to, so that they don't go. It's a yellow card all day long, Raf. Um, I and I'd be very frustrated, like John Caulfield, if 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 I was in a position like him where my player after 13 minutes of a huge game like that was given a straight red card for an offence like that. Um, so, yeah, I'd be very, very disappointed as well. But I think the thing is, I think they they managed the game very, very well um, from then on. Obviously, Stephen Walsh is naturally a left foot, a left full, and he's playing up front this season and double figure got, double figure with the amount of goals that he scored. So he's has the ability then to, talk, to play a little bit deeper in, 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 in a defensive role and be very, very effective that way. So um, I think that was really, really important. Um, I think uh, Conor O'Keefe at the back was really, really good as well. Um, but Cork had the chances. I know Colin Heaney said they, they had a couple of half chances. They had a really good chance. Keane Murphy had a great chance in the 88 minute when the ball was crossed in and he, he got in front of the defender and put a header into the side net. Um, that was a huge chance to, to win the game. Can you imagine the, the roar? Of the sh- that was into the shed as well. Can you imagine the roar if the header went in? Um, but all in all, I think, as John says, when you're down to 13, when you're down to, to 10 men after 13 minutes, and to come away from Turner's Cross at a point, you're going to be happy with it. Yeah, and uh, O'Sheen was asking Colin Healy there about the signs. Obviously, Lewis Britton, uh, who had spent the first half of the season at Waterford and then now has uh, signed permanently for Cork City. And then Rob Manley has also arrived at Galway. I mean, when we look at the dynamics of the table now, one point between them, Cork City having a, a game in hand on Galway, it's obviously in Cork's hands, but you never know what happens you know, in these type of leagues, especially with small margins like that. But how do you think those signings will impact both clubs now? 
Yeah, I, I don't think we can rule out Waterford either, Raf, because they, they've nine wins from eleven games since uh, since Ian Morris left. I think that's a that's a, that's a and a huge a massive win down in Cove um, on Friday. They brought in um, Ua Tra from Charlton, a bit like Junior Quaterna as well. He came in from Charlton's and he got he bagged two of the under nine two. So I thought I know that they're they're nine point nine points off the lead, but they're on a on a, some roll at the moment. Um, but yeah, they've like as you as you mentioned, Cork and Galway, Galway the top two. The, Rob Manley wasn't getting doing too well at Bray Wanderers, um, but he has the form in the first division to score goals, um, and that's why John brought him in. I think he needed another striker to 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 score those chances, considering that he is playing as I mentioned, Stephen Walsh, a left back up front, albeit he is scoring scoring goals. Um, he lost Rory Keating obviously last year um, to their title rivals. So um, and then as you mentioned, Lewis Britton scoring goals for Waterford, and uh, Colin Healy thought that he'd be effective and. He's a tall centre forward. He's going to. He's very, very good in the air, unlike the other the, uh, Rory Keating and Keane Murphy that they have. So, um, just another option for them. And um, yeah, that's uh, looking forward to the to the next few weeks of the season. See where it goes. Yeah, and there was one final game in the division as well on Saturday, which was Longford Town losing three one to Athlone Town in the Midlands Derby. And given Athlone's form, I mean that sort of that's that's come out of nowhere, Conan. And it's obviously a brilliant result for for Athlone. Um, I'm sure Longford fans, given it's a derby as well, won't be too happy. But it it's uh, it's a huge one for Athlone, who have been had a hard time over the last uh, season and a bit. Yeah, especially in 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 the Midlands Derby as well, considering how poorly they've they've got on. I think it's their first in sixteen, I think. Um, but yeah, Thomas Alua with a with a wonderful bicycle kick to to kick them off in, in early doors with the goal. But I thought Shane Barnes overall captain on the night. I thought he was brilliant. His movement was fantastic. Um, I thought he was really really effective in that role as well. He was causing the Longford defenders a lot of problems. Um, but Patrick Hickey, I thought the goalkeeper for Athlone, I thought he was man of the match, or player of the match. I think I thought he was absolutely outstanding in the game. And was kind of the tail of the two goalkeepers, really, with, with him being so effective. And Luke Dennison then, no communication for the second goal. And then Michael Barker to head back over his head. Um, and a simple call would have been would have been enough to, to claim it pretty easily. Um, but great for Athlone to get off the mark in such, a, in such an important game for them. But an abysmal result for, for Longford, considering their promotion pushed themselves. Yeah, and before we go as well, um, just a story that I saw during the week was uh, the end of St. James's Gate and all the kind of 120 years of uh, history um, of the club, obviously founded in 1902, formerly in the league, founder members as well. And then their last stint in the first division was back between 1990 and 1996 as well. And they sort of ended up in the Leinster Senior League. But um, Conan, what, what did you make of, I suppose, not so much even their demise, but I mean, it's a lot of history going as well. It is a lot of history, and obviously, I was part of the club myself. That, albeit not as not as uh, the historical um, significance of St James's Gate in, in Sporting Fingal when when that the, the clubs uh, ended prematurely, um, and it's never nice. Obviously, with with the, they've been playing in the Leinster Senior League for the last number of years, lovely grounds, um, and yeah, it's very very sad to see a team like that that has had this success that it's had over the last hundred and twenty years. It's very, very disappointing to see, and it's just unfortunate nobody could, could kind of step in there and, and keep the club running. Um, that's the disappointing thing of it all. And um, I feel for for the former players that have played that have played for St James's Gate, like in, in going back 10, 20, 30 years, because these are these are memories that you could always walk back in. Same with any club that you that you've played for. That once once you go back into a ground, all the memories keep flooding back. And um 
those memories now are just uh, are going to be distant now. Yeah, and then just over the water before we go, Keith, um, I'm just looking at the transfer front over the last while. We've seen Manchester United bringing in Lisandro Martinez from Ajax. Uh, Chelsea have made a couple of moves with uh, Koulibaly, who's a, obviously a very highly rated defender from Napoli over the last few years, and then Raheem Sterling coming in. So what have you made as sort of that chasing, the chasing pack, so to speak, uh, behind Liverpool and Manchester City and just sort of the little the moves they've made? Obviously, Arsenal have made a couple of signings too. Gabriel Jesus um, is an interesting one for them, and Spurs have been busy as well back in Conte. Yeah, well... To be fair, like I, I would class myself as an Arsenal fan. I'm, I'm not a diehard by any by any stretch of the imagination. But for me, it pains me to say it, but I think Spurs have done excellent business, really, really good business. I think Conte and Spurs are going to be a real threat to the top four. I think we'll probably all agree that City and Liverpool will be first and second again next year. In what order, we don't know. We think Chelsea be there or thereabouts. Liverpool, or sorry, Chelsea be thereabouts. But there's just going to be so there's so many decent signings that Spurs have made and with the likes of Kulazewski staying there Son staying there Kane staying there and the little bits of maggots that, that Conte is bringing in is excellent but I think Arsenal have done good business as well I think Gabriel Jesus is a really decent signer for them I think that's what they were calling out for as a striker but for me Arsenal's Arsenal problems are in the centre of the pitch I know we have Odegaard in there he's a younger player but for me the, the Swiss captain Shaka He's not quite up to it. I think he's he's a red card merchant. He gets carried away at times. And he's one in really tight games that I, I leave a question mark over. So I've heard Ruben Neves' name being touted around from Wolves to come in for him. If, if Arsenal were able to do some sort of business like that, I'd be absolutely over the moon. But for me, I think I think Spurs have just done the best business so far. Yeah, I think Zinchenko has been talked about coming to Arsenal as well because yeah. of the which would be a great given his versatility, left back, can play kind of midfield and it's, and it's a shame because I really like Tierney, but he, he just seems to be a little bit injury prone. He get he gets injured an awful lot. But every time he plays for Arsenal, he has a, a real desire and he runs through brick walls and he has that talent that that you love to see driving up the wing, but you know, Zinchenko can. We we've seen how good he is for Ukraine, even in the middle of the pitch. So, you know, if he was to come in and, and replace Shaka as well, you know, that that for me would be perfect. Yeah, uh, which brings us to a close. If all fixtures anyway, you can uh, check them out on rt.ie/sport, and of course the Shamrock Rovers game against Ludogorets on RT2 and the RT Player this week. And um, if you want to check it out, and also all our fixtures in the Women's Euro 2022. So, Rob Wright, thanks a mil for coming on this week and joining me. And also, Keith, Tracy, and Conan Byrne, thanks very much. Uh, let's all jump into, into an ice bath because I'm, I'm actually boiling. I'm actually boiling here. All right, we'll, we'll chat to everyone next week. Okay, thanks. Cheers,